Hi, I'm James Vincent, host of Leaders in Innovation, a most innovative companies podcast from Fast Company. I'm a founding partner at Founder, where we help give voice to vision for founders. We've had the privilege to work with some of the biggest founders of our time, from Steve at Apple, Brian at Airbnb, Evan at Snap, Jason at Discord, and many, many more. We're back for a new season, and this year we speak to leaders in innovation. In an era where things are changing so quickly, it demands a new playbook for innovation. From emerging technologies like biotech to completely new categories like AI, innovating simply at the product level is not enough. To get to true impact, scale, and mass adoption now requires innovation across multiple levels. You have to design around systemic issues such as supply chain, go-to-market, new types of partnership and new ways of working, as well as technology and product experience innovation. Whilst we're going to be talking about AI and new foods and biotech, we're really going to be compiling a new innovators playbook with lessons you can apply no matter the size of your company or the job title you hold. Today I'm talking to Tyler Huggins from Meaty. He's an environmentalist, a scientist, an entrepreneur. He's growing mycelium, the piece underneath the mushroom, the part of the earth under your feet. And we're going to get into everything it takes to innovate within a space which is trying to have a meaningful impact on climate change through the production of new foods. And I know there have been a bunch of new foods, some of which have scaled, some of which have been natural, but can we find one that is both natural and scales? And what, in terms of the innovator's playbook, needs to be applied here? How do you have to change manufacturing, distribution, the way you target the consumer adoption? How do you get that scale to realize itself and therefore have a meaningful impact on climate so this is that conversation with Tyler. How are you, Tyler? Good to see you, man. Doing good. Good to see you again, too. Yeah, excited for our conversation because I'm looking for these great case studies that can prove to us they can not just be awesome, but make it to truly having a dent in the universe. And so as we move to try to make a true impact on the climate crisis and find new foods, then what is it about what you're doing with mycelium at Meaty that is going to conquer that ability to scale nature. This is the the whole reason why Meaty exists. Uh, we founded this company with the sole purpose of having a net positive impact on the world. And, and we mean that. And when we built out the approach, we, we reverse engineered it and said, all right, if the goal is global impact, well, what does that actually mean? What, do you, what are the first principles that are required in order to do so? Again, it's got to be wanted, right? People got to want it, especially in food. It's got to be delicious. It's got to be easy to cook. It has to be super nutritious. It has to be better than what they currently have. And then it has to be scalable, meaning that it can produce massive volumes. It can be cost effective and then we can do it fast. And so those are the principles in which we built this whole process that we have today. So I'm going to get into all of those things because that's super interesting and and a, a gauntlet to be run if you're going to change an industry. Um, but before we do that, let's start with mycelium because you're really the mycelium guy. And when we worked together, you were describing how you pushed into mycelium. You thought it was this incredible opportunity to create huge innovation. Why mycelium? I originally started off as a field biologist. So I was studying nature. I was studying grassland ecosystems, both plants, animals, and also fungi and, and soil ecology. And that was my first exposure to sort of all these different kingdoms in life. 
Then I went back and got my PhD to develop out the thesis that I was developed. How do we work with nature? How do we guide it in certain ways in order to solve big problems? So when it comes to food, we said, okay, well, what in nature has a certain attributes and specialties that it produces naturally uh, that we can leverage? So we have animals, of course, and that's what we use right now as our main source of, of meat. But they're not very efficient at producing meat. Obviously, the vast majority of, of the global population likes it, but they're not really that efficient. Then you have plants. Plants are really cool because they can take in the sunlight and the energy from the sun and, and produce really cool things. But they're not really good at producing protein, and that's what's important for meat. And they're not really good at producing texture, and that's also what we associate with meat. So what else out there is there? Well, there's fungi, and in particular, mycelium. We all know the mushroom cap itself, but in the soil is this root-like structure, technically called mycelium. And so we looked in and said, okay, that's the textural quality we want. Now is it nutritious? And what we found is we found a special one that we call mushroom root uh, that happens to be one of the most nutrient-dense foods in the world. I mean, packed full of protein, about over 60% by weight protein, all kinds of other great vitamins and minerals like zinc, iron, vitamin Bs. That's what you traditionally find in animal-based meat. But then a bunch of other fiber and other vitamins and minerals only found in plants. Really efficient. It takes basic building blocks of life, nitrogen, carbon, phosphorus, potassium. Those are basically the building blocks of life. That's all you have to give it. And it can produce this sophisticated structure and nutrient content. There's just nothing else out there like it. Amazing. So mycelium is the underside of particular types of mushroom. And has man been eating them for years? What do we know about our history with mycelium? We have been using it to ferment food for thousands of years across all sorts of different regions of the world. The traditional fermentation in which you take agricultural byproducts, things that maybe aren't that nutritious as is, and we can feed it to mycelium and it can break down the recalcitrant nature of some, some food sources and make it more digestible and more easy to consume. We've been doing that for a long time. So as you think about building the scalable solutions, convince me that you can get to scale. My philosophy and my approach has always been if you have a problem, look into nature, get billions of years of evolution, solving problems. And there's probably a solution in nature already there. We just got to listen and learn. And so we looked into nature with this set of problems, how do we produce more sustainable and healthy meat? Again, we found this solution that was already existing. It already has these attributes that we want. We don't have to change it in any way. It's, these are inherent properties of our particular type of mycelium. So then it's just a matter of guiding it. And that is a much easier approach than saying, which I think we've done traditionally, is saying, okay, we're going to man-make food. We're going to control nature in such a way that we think we know what's going on, and we're going to just use sheer brute force. Uh, our approach is actually how do you guide it. And by doing so, you can unlock extreme efficiencies because just look out into nature. And for the most part, it uses very little inputs and has very little outputs, and it yet is able to do such amazing things. Tell me what a factory looks like. How are you growing this stuff? We have figured out the right temperature and air and nutrients in order to unlock its unbound potential and let it do what it naturally wants to do at its peak performance. We are helping this thing be just an elite athlete. Essentially, we just cultivate it. We give it the right conditions. We give it the right nutrition. And we let it do its thing. And we step back and we let it grow. And then we harvest it at its peak nutritional quality. So the way we do that is our production system kind of looks like a beer brewery. We have these tanks filled with water. That allows us to, then, again, control temperature, air, nutrients, 
for it to do its thing. Then we just simply harvest it at its peak nutritional quality. Then we take this root-like structure and gently form it into different cuts of meat, flavor it. It's ready to go. It's alive during the whole process until the very end. Very simple. This is whole food. This is right from nature, truly unadulterated. How big is big? How much can you make? We'll be able to produce millions of pounds annually out of this facility now. And this facility that we have now, which we call the Mega Ranch, will make it one of the single largest meat production facilities in the entire United States. This is just a demonstration facility. We're just showing the world that one, yes, we can actually do this at scale, that the products are great, that the consumers love it. But ultimately, we can build these even bigger where you're producing hundreds of millions of pounds. You're producing thousands of the meat equivalent of cows every hour, hour after hour. This is unmatched efficiency when it comes to meat production. So you called it meat. So let's talk about that because it's called meaty and you're taking something incredibly natural, but you did say you add flavoring and you talked about texture. So we're definitely going into consumer habit here and thinking about, is it meat? Is it replacement meat or is it a third way? Is it a new thing that has meat-like qualities? How do you talk about it and think about it? I think you have to be careful on how many new things you introduce all at one time. If we really want to create change, you have to do things differently. The way we're doing it now is not working. Our food production system is not sustainable. So we need new innovation. But how much innovation can you introduce at one time? I would argue not much. And so we need to show, okay, we all know what meat is. Mass majority of people eat meat every day. So, okay, we're going to give you a a new type of meat. We're just going to come from a different source. So really that's the only one thing we're changing here. My parents run a grass-fed bison operation in the Sandhills of Nebraska. I grew up hunting and fishing. I mean, that was just the culture in which I grew up in. I'm very familiar with what animal-based meat is. And yes, I would argue this is meat. It's the same texture. It's the same pull. It's the same fiber. It's the same juiciness. You cook it the same way. Are people replacing meat or are they adding to an existing behavior? It's an and solution. We support all dietary preferences and understand the importance of eating less animal-based meat. And that is definitely, we hope, the impact that we have. But we're not here to say that you have to only eat meaty and get rid of all other meat sources. This is just a great option. We all love optionality. Try this. It's great. You're going to see. You're going to, it's easy to cook. It's easy to put it in front of your kids. You know it's healthy. You know it's clean. And you're probably going to slowly but surely realize this is nice. This has benefits over what I traditionally consume. And I think over time, you'll switch out meaty more and more. I've heard the phrase good energy coming from you guys. Tell me what that's all about. You'll notice from myself and the the company, we're not here to come out strong and tell people you got to change your way of life. We're here just to say, you know, we have good energy as well. We're a good energy company. We just want to provide benefit to you and the world. And then the source of energy itself of the food, it is good energy. You feel good after eating it. It's super clean. It has great nutritional profile. That's what we get all the time from people is like, man, I feel great after eating this. And so it's good energy itself in the product. So let's move down the supply chains. Where do I buy this stuff? Did I read that you just got into Whole Foods? Absolutely. We were able to scale an industrial scale facility and come out of the gate uh, with national launches with Sprouts, Whole Foods, Myers, Fresh Time, and the list is continuing to grow. And 
And this is something to the point of this podcast we're really proud of is it worked. We had a very novel concept that had never been done before with a product that could have massive positive impact in the world that required us to build out completely new infrastructure. And we did, and we're already out in you know multiple retail chains. We're in multiple food service chains, and we're continuing to grow. Assuming from a targeting perspective, you're beyond simply people that don't want to eat meat, but people who are interested in expanding their diet. Definitely the early adopters, right? There is a large group of the general population that are looking for alternatives, that are actively searching out solutions for their diet, both that are more nutritious and that are also more sustainable. And so we just see this flocking of people. There's a lot of sort of noise in the, at least in the plant-based meat category right now. Is, is the demand really there? Do people really want to switch? Do people really want alternatives to animal-based meat? And from what we're seeing, absolutely. I mean, every retailer that we launch with, you're seeing growth in the category. We saw from some of our retail partners that nearly 40% of our sales were from individuals who had never tried plant-based before. So that's just naturally happening. And we're, you know, I'm love to see it too, is we're starting on our social media channel, we're seeing influencers, especially athletes and performance individuals who are looking for great macros. They're just naturally finding it and are like, whoa, this is really cool. Look at these macros. And they're word of mouth, organically talking about it. And it's really starting to pick up steam with people we weren't necessarily targeting. If I'm in Whole Foods, where do I find you? Are you in the plant-based area? Are you next to meat? And Whole Foods were in the plant-based section. And we got a nice big chunk of real estate. We have big, bright packaging. It's very appealing. It pulls you in. And other locations were in the meat section. We're adjacent to animal-based meat. This really is a drop-in replacement. You can still build the same meals that you're used to, just providing you with another alternative. Over time, you'll be able to figure out whether adjacency to meat or adjacency to plant-based is more advantageous. I guess if we had you on a year from now, you could tell me which one's the right place in the supermarket. I'm calling it now. What I would like to see in a year from now is our own category. And we call it like the meaty marketplace. Because okay. what we're showing now is just that we're just scratching the surface of what we can produce. So we have products that are like chicken. We have products that are like steak. But we can do way more than that. Because we start with this textured ingredient, this mushroom root, mm-hmm. we can produce any texture we want. We can produce things that are like pork, like fish, deli meats, burgers, hot dogs, any type of traditional meat product that's out there we can make. Yet it's healthier, more sustainable, more cleaner, all that sort of stuff. And we have retailers that are wanting to give us our own section. Hmm. And here's your source. You can go here and you're going to get anything you want. So is Meaty an ingredient or a brand or both? Because you're in a branded space right now. And at a certain point, no matter how many giga whatever factories you build, can you make a real dent in the universe? We know these meat manufacturing plants are enormous. How do you get to scale? You're right. We're going to have to partner with people and we're going to have to move fast. The fact that we went from pre-revenue to building out an industrial scale facility, that was a bold move. We were confident in the product and we were confident in the market and our investors want to also create an impact as well. So we went for it. But ultimately, to your point, we know we can't do this alone. Meaty is not going to be the silver bullet that solves the world's food and climate change, right? Two impacts that I hope we have. One, we can show industry that there's a way to use innovation, working with nature, and just being smarter. You can create products that are both better 
than the conventional products and less impactful. And then the other part is, you're right, meat is a brand, but mushroom root is an ingredient. And so what we have done and what we are doing is creating a new category and we're introducing an entirely new ingredient to the world, which is pretty cool. When's the last time we brought a new, entirely new food source to the human diet? We're doing that with mushroom root. We're the first one to bring that to market. So this is an entirely new food to our food system, which is pretty cool. And so once we can build that category out and we can get excitement about it, then you could either license or sell mushroom root itself. And you can put it in not only meat, but you dry it and put it in breads and confectionery stuff. You can put it in functional drinks. I mean, this is truly what, you know, what we originally believed and are continuing to build out is what we like to call a universal basic nutrition. Mm. This is produced at a scale and a cost, and you can supplement it into so many different types of food that would ensure that those who have access to it have a really strong baseline nutrition. And that is something that I hope in 10, 20 years, a world that we help create. Plant-based has been around a little bit and got famous and felt like it's kind of come back a little bit and there are a few detractors around that conversation. So what is different about mycelium and meaty that you're confident you can get past that for, with consumers and in general that the reaction won't be an initial excitement and then, you know, so you're not first, you're second, but what can you learn from that in order to be resilient? We have a lot of, you know, history of successful companies that were fast second that's a position we like to be in because we learned from the first wave and it was clear from the first wave that there was a demand for alternatives to animal-based meat. People wanted diversity in their diet. They want sustainable-based food. So that's pretty clear. I don't think there's anything controversial about that. But what they want is, especially in food, they want food to be natural from nature, at least, you know, believe it is. And they want it to be nutritious. Now, of course, it has to be delicious. That's just table stakes for food. So it has to be delicious, nutritious, and whole food. I would argue we're the first one to bring that to market. So it's back to scaling nature. And when you find nature in its purest form, that you don't have to change that much, you can scale it, and it's sustainable. Whereas if you have to fool around with it somewhat in order to get it to taste or to have the right type of nutrition or the right type of properties, then that's where scaling is more challenging or indeed adoption is more challenging in the long term. So you think there's a unique property to meaty and mycelium that is going to pass that test? Absolutely. I think we've checked all those boxes. Yeah. It's fighting nature is, is difficult, right? We just see it. We see it in the world. And and nature doesn't work on, you know, on years, works on the scale of hundreds and thousands of years, if not more, right? So it has the time where we don't. And fighting nature and having it do things that it doesn't want to do is also very difficult. And so the easiest thing is to find parts of nature that just have that intrinsic inherent capabilities that we want and leverage it to help solve our problems. And that's what we've been able to do that I think is different than really the bulk of our agricultural and food system. That's really interesting. If you think about milks and different milk replacements, right? We've sort of gone through so many generations. We're looking at a marketplace that has definitely become a category. Do you see that as an example of a successful model? Are there things to be learned from that example? Yeah, absolutely. I think what brands have done on the alternative milk side is is a great example of how you win because it wasn't a compromise and in some cases 
it's actually better, not only from a nutritional or from an allergy perspective, but in some case, like, you know, I, I like putting oat milk in my, you know, my latte better than any other type of milk. I think it just performs better. Right. And that's what's key. It has to be better. You can't just say, here's a product. I want you to consume it because it's sustainable. It's just, unfortunately, especially in the U.S. and global population, is not going to switch to something new just for sustainability reasons. That's got to be like the cherry on top. The product has to have a benefit to the consumer. It's got to be 10 times better in some regard. It's really got to be a net benefit. Otherwise, again, for the bulk of our population, they're like, I, I got a cheeseburger. I like it. I don't see a problem with right. that. But if I can provide you a cheeseburger that's healthier for you, mm-hmm. that you can feel good about eating every day because you know it's healthy for you. Oh, and it has a sustainability benefit. Then it's a no-brainer. But not the other way around. You can't start with the sustainability, but don't worry, the properties aren't quite as good. I guess that's the idea of good energy, which is it's good for you and it's also you feel good about it because you're not perpetuating the industrial meat industry and some of the challenges that that faces with, uh, with climate change. On this podcast, we're talking about so many deep tech ideas like AI and bioengineering and all this, you know, like amazing leaps forward in technology. And it's not to say you don't have technology, but I think part of what you're saying is we found this in nature and we're propagating it. Listen, nature isn't going to solve all of our problems, that's for sure. But especially when it comes to food, especially when it comes to some categories, materials, and there's a variety of different categories that I do think nature can provide solutions. And before our instinct is to just say, okay, how can we man-make something? Our first instinct should just say, hey, let's take a moment here. Right. Let's listen. Let's learn from this very wise system that is all around us. What can we learn there first? Once you exhaust that, then you can move into sort of a man-made solution. It's almost going backwards to go forwards. Nature was there before all of us for tens of thousands of years. Nature was what everybody bowed down to and, and understood to be this great power. And this is kind of going backwards to realizing that there's an opportunity to garner nature in its fairly raw form. And how much technology is involved in the plant where you're manufacturing? I love this look backwards, look forward, because that's exactly the case, right? When we were Early on, hunter and gatherers, we were looking to nature for food. We were looking for no, new sources of food, and we were testing and learning, and we were hunting and gathering. As we continued to, to progress, we started building out industrial food production, right? That was important because you have a lot bigger population, and food safety and consistency and cost was super important. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to recognize the value that brought to our society. We wouldn't be where we were today if it wasn't for our food manufacturing systems that we have in place. But then it went so far into, again, this man-made nature, highly processed, we're producing food that's not good for you. And so then how do you merge the two? How do you go back to leveraging nature for its just beauty and wonder, but then apply it to our modern food manufacturing processes so you can produce it at scale safely and reliably and cost-effectively? And that's what we've done. Again, we plucked something from nature, new and novel. We brought it indoors, but we, of course, we use modern technology and approaches to be able to produce this at scale safely and reliably. It's a merger of the two. What about the category of you had to rethink in order to be successful? Because the road is strewn full of new foods. They don't all make it. What did you observe in the way the system works that you had to innovate around? To me, it always comes back to we needed to create a net benefit. It wasn't enough to say, okay, I see the world as it is. I see the food system as it is. 
let me just try to rearrange things. To me, that wasn't going to have the, the benefit to society that creating something completely new, growing the pie, providing more food to the world. That to me was the goal. And that's what we, we've done differently versus again, just saying, okay, let me just work within the constraints that I see in front of me. Or can you change the rules completely? Can produce something completely new and unlock uh, what I would argue is like the, the adjacent possible mm-hmm. and show that you can do something new and different and ultimately have a massive impact. And ultimately, back to our theme today is that you can scale nature if you're very thoughtful about it. And I think in the last 500 years, you think technology is going to solve everything. And it's kind of refreshing to think that actually nature can play its part. And if we go backwards to go forwards, maybe there's a whole bunch of other things to be discovered that can then scale, maybe just maybe we can have an impact on this climate change. So I'm hopeful that you're only the first guest on this podcast who's going to prove that nature can be scaled. Oftentimes, there's a very deep technology answer to a question about the future that is hard for people to understand. This actually isn't that hard to understand. It has to be simple, especially what we've noticed recently with supply chain issues, geopolitical issues, climate change issues that we're going to see in the future, complexity will fail. And that's what you see in nature too. Nature creates specialists that are really efficient at what they do. I would argue that's also what you need in your food system. Is that the lesson for innovators? Keep it simple? Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you, Tyler. That was fantastic. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to talk to you again, James. So as we mentioned in the intro, during the course of the series of podcasts, we're going to be building a new playbook for innovation. At Founder, that's what we do. We meet with founders and work with them every day to learn and use the lessons to build a new playbook. Today's episode is all about the challenges of scaling nature. So what can we learn from Tyler at Meaty about the challenges of that and the opportunity to succeed in reevaluating the entire category for it to be successful? Tyler shared with us two or three major lessons. And the first one is the biggest question of all, which is looking to nature for answers. If you go backwards to go forwards, what in nature can help us solve what we have in the last 500 years basically moved to a synthetic view, a chemical-based view of the world? And if you can go back to nature and look at biological solutions, then Maybe, just maybe, there are secrets that can be unleashed that will move us forward. And the challenge of scaling nature has been with us. We've had solutions which are natural that can't scale. We've had solutions that can scale that aren't natural. And finding places where nature can scale. In bringing nature to people, sometimes actually it's quite unfamiliar. So in this case, it's mycelium, fully natural, under the ground for tens of thousands of years. Man used to eat it a whole ton, but every day people are not thinking about mycelium. So how do you bring that to people's consciousness? How do people's attitudes and behaviors change? How do you bring the new with the familiar? And the final thought I think from the discussion with Tyler was that sustainability of course is increasingly important to people, but it's not enough on its own. The product itself has to be better. It has to be a product that fulfills all of the criteria that consumers want and need and also be sustainable. Sustainability on its own is not enough. 
It has to be tasty. It has to be price conscious. It has to be nutritious. It has to fulfill all of the criteria and be sustainable, which is a pretty high bar. That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to Leaders in Innovation wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you like this episode, give it a rating. Five star would be awesome. And review it on Apple Podcasts, if you would. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you want to hear more of. You can email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us, hashtag Leaders in Innovation. Leaders in Innovation is a production of Fast Company in partnership with founder FNDR, couldn't afford the vowels. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen, produced and edited by Matt Toda, sound designed by Nicholas Torres. The writing is Matias Sanchez, also ably assisted by a merry band of Camilla, LJ, Hannah, Nikki, Naomi, Nick, This podcast is done in collaboration with my amazing partners at Founder, Stephen Butler, Rebecca Jeffries, and Nick Barron.